Last week we finished up Joshua, and, uh, and just as a, as a way of thinking, you remember what Joshua, at the very end of his life, he turned to the people and he said, um, you may ch- chase after the gods of the Amorites, you might chase after the gods that Abraham once worshipped, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Right? It's serving the Lord. It's not just attending church. It's not just being a, a good Christian in your lane. But sometimes we as the church, we change the scripture to this. We, we think like this. As for me and my family, we will go to church. And I challenged the fathers last week, not just you, but myself, that if, my, if I see that my only influence in my home is to make sure my kids go to church, then I'm not doing my job as a father. That my job as a father is to teach my kids, to not just pray for my kids, but pray with my kids. And as my kids ask me spiritual questions, I shouldn't need to run to somebody else unless I don't know, but I don't need to depend on other people. I want to, to teach my kids. I am called to serve the Lord in my home. And so I, I challenge two mothers. Um, sometimes we think that the legacy, the most important legacy we can leave is, is having incredible meals or having Instagram presence, like wanting to look like the right family, dressed right, look right. And, and sometimes we can be so focused on our image that we miss that the greatest thing, mothers, that our, your kids need to see from you is Christ, more important than anything else. And so I challenged last week, um, go ahead, John, um, there's four gospels, right? At the end of this, I, I said there's four gospels. And how did God show his power, his glory in the Gospels? How did God show it? He showed it through the body of Jesus, right? God God used or worked in and showed his power through the body of Jesus. And so listen, next one, go ahead. How did God demonstrate his power and glory in the book of Acts? You turn one page over and God is demonstrating his power and glory through Jesus' earthly body, the church. That is how God is at work among us. It's not us doing something for him, but God demonstrating his glory and power through his earthly body. And so I ended last week with this thought right here, serving God It's not about doing something for God. It's about being available for God to do something through me. God is looking for vessels of glory. When you say serve him, that means I am available. I am available for God to demonstrate his glory and power. It's all about him. It's what he's doing in and through me, right? That should be our approach. So um, what a great way, though, to, to lead into the book of John. Um, I, I have this title. We mentioned, we discussed it ahead of time. Um, I believe this Sunday morning, they're starting it at Ashland and Huntington also. And we went with this theme. 
This theme is seen throughout the whole passage that you may believe that you may have life. That comes directly from John chapter 20. Look at it. John chapter 20, verse 31. John himself, he gave us just the purpose statement for the whole gospel of John. And and you can latch on to it. This is what this is all about. These are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing, that by believing, you may have life in his name. So the entire book being summarized, that you may believe, go ahead, Jonathan, that you may believe and that you may have life. As I was sitting preparing uh, last night, sometimes you do all the studying and then you just sit and dwell. You just sit and, and saturate the word. I started thinking, as we walk through this passage, this book of the Bible, week in and week out, and probably till, till December, think about this. Right now, we will probably be concluding around Christmas time. As you stop and think about that, under the purpose statement that John wrote this book, I, I just want to pause and pray for souls to see that Jesus is the Christ and that by believing they may have life. How many people will hear the gospel of John and be stirred in their heart to believe and follow after Jesus? And so that's, I want to pause right now. I want to pause and, and you pray fervently. Don't just listen to me pray, but you pray in your heart too. Uh, for lost souls, there, there are lost among us. There are lost that listen week in and week out. People that check in to, to church and go home unchanged, never trusting and knowing Jesus. And so I want to pray right now as a, just a pause. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for this gospel. I thank you for the, the stories that John captured for us to see the glory and the power of God demonstrated in Jesus. Lord, I thank you for the truths that we will wrestle with as we travel through this book. Lord, I pray right now that your Holy Spirit would empower the word of God. Lord, will you draw a lost sinner into repentance. I don't know how you'll do that, but I pray that it would be a testimony as we walk through this, uh, this passage, this, this book of the Bible, be a testimony of the power of the, the Holy Spirit to draw men to follow after Christ. Lord, I, I pray that it would be a demonstration of power even as we walk through these passages that, that you would draw men after yourself. Lord, we glorify your name right now for what you will do over the coming months. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So who is John? Oh, there we go. All right. We're slowly getting this thing together, so it takes a little time. So who is John? Um, Let me... We're, we're going we're gonna to walk through um, just the power of this book, or this, this first chapter. We'll be in John chapter 1. And I just want a little bit of background. Who is this John? 
Because there's a couple Johns in the Bible that show up here and there. We're talking about John the disciple. John the apostle. Right? If you think about who he is, a number of times, by the way, in the whole book of John, not one time does John mention himself. He always refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. Isn't that crazy? The entire book, other, other gospels refer to him as John, but this book, John refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. Some people think, man, that's kind of arrogant. You're the best because Jesus loved you the most, right? No, that is a demonstration of humility saying, I, I find my identity in Christ, not because I'm somebody, but because he loved me. Hey, that's just a powerful picture, like jumping in. But think about John. He was an eyewitness of the power and glory of God. He was firsthand witness. He was a son of Zebedee, if you remember, and he's, he's mending his, his nets on the Sea of Galilee. Him and his brother, his brother was James, his older brother, and as they're mending their, their nets on their father's business, along comes this man named Jesus. He said, follow me. And Mark, I love it, it says immediately or straightway. They, they threw down their nets and followed him. And they were in line for the most amazing three and a half years. They, they were, both of them were firsthand witnesses. They were in the inner circle of Jesus' disciples. And so they saw things that the other disciples didn't get to see, like the transfiguration. Jesus was showing them his glorified self. They beheld his glory. And so as you think about this, he has such a unique opportunity. And the, the way that he shares is a firsthand eyewitness account of the glory of God demonstrated in Christ. Uh, if, if you know much about the, we, we accept this, that there were five books written by John. Can you, can you name them off? Most everybody, some of you guys should be able to do this, right? John, then there's three. There you go. First, second, third, John. All right. And then there's one more. Revelation. Revelation. He had the ability to see as a man. He saw what would come and he recorded it for us. Like he has seen and experienced things that we will, we can't even fathom. And I don't think he could fully fathom it as he was writing these things, describing the glory of God. Like, I'm not sure that it entirely made sense to him. He's just trying to put it in words so that we might be able to understand what he saw. Like he saw glory and power. And so that's just a unique opportunity to hear from the disciple whom Jesus loved, who saw the glory of Christ. All right. So we're going to look through the very beginning, chapter one, and we're only going to do verses one through 18. And let me say this, it is so packed full. I'm just going to fly through it tonight at 630. We're going to have a little bit of time to digest it. And, and, and meditate, kind of work our way through it a little bit slower and, and think through it and discuss through. But, but listen, we're gonna, those 18 verses are so packed full of how God is displaying this. This is who Jesus is. 
And I, I narrowed it down to just six statements about Jesus from John chapter 1, verse 1 through 18. I pulled six specific things that this passage speaks about the Jesus, the Messiah. And the first one is that Jesus is the eternal God. I don't, I don't want this to just pass over in your mind. I want, I want to dwell here a minute. Jesus is the eternal God. He is eternal. John said it this way. In the beginning was the word. In the beginning. I ask guys all the time, we have regular conversations about this. What was in the beginning? When was the beginning? Who saw the beginning? This is saying that before the heavens and the earth were created, eternity passed. Before any worlds or stars or, or, or suns or moons, no, no human beings, no life, there was nothing but God. He is eternal from eternity past. It says, in the beginning was the word, and the word is referring to Jesus. He didn't begin to exist in the manger, by the way. He has always existed he is the Alpha and Omega. It says, in the word was with God. And the word was God. Jesus is God. Jesus is eternal. Jesus uh, even says this in, in Philippians chapter 2 that he thought it not robbery. I have it in my mind in King James Version. He thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Nobody can be equal with God but God. We, we understand it's hard to fathom the idea of the Trinity, but you have to trust Jesus is God. No one is equal with God except himself. So why in the world did, did, it use, did John use this idea of word? Why did John use word to describe him? Uh, a number of other places, but here's another place. Revelation 19, he said he clothed, he's clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name on which he is called is the word of God, the Logos. It's, it's this proclaimed, it's, it's like, and I, I wrote it down as a way to, it's speaking a message or wisdom. It's the embodiment of the message and heart of God. God is demonstrated. It's the revelation of God's heart to mankind is Jesus. It's word, logos. Such a powerful thought, by the way. That a spirit God that you cannot see is demonstrated tangibly in a Jesus who you can't, could see. Mankind saw him in his glory. It says in verse 2, it says, He was in the beginning with God. He continually exists. And, and let me pause right quick. My heart, my heart hurts as a child. 
child. Still, hey, hey, as I as I just meditate on eternity, just it is it is terrifying to think that Jesus always always existed. My heart can't fathom that. As a kid, I used to literally shudder uh, in bed at night. My heart would start pounding as I thought that. Not only is Jesus, God has never not existed. I can't fathom that. Everything starts and ends, right? Jesus has always existed. And the the more terrifying thing as a child is that we will always exist somewhere. Listen, every person in this room, including children... There will never be a moment in, in, in uh, of course, there's no time. It's the absence of time. But there will never be a moment in all of eternity that every one of us in this room will not exist. We will always exist for eternity. And I was scared to death to sit on my pappy's lap. He was a, he was a pastor, and every time I'd sit on his lap, he'd talk about how excited he is to be with Jesus in eternity. My heart would be like, I can't handle it. As a kid, I was scared to sit on my grandpa's lap. Because he talk about eternity. And as I was wrestling through this, it was literally in the last 12, 13 years, I, I just opened up to my dad and said, Dad, I'm struggling with this. Like it just, it's so heavy on my heart to think that we will all exist somewhere for all of eternity. So heavy. And my dad was like, he just dropped the bomb on me. I've never forgotten. He said, What's the alternative? Would you rather think that there is an ending? And it just, okay, I get it. I was created for this. We are created as eternal beings so that we can enjoy his presence. This whole idea is that God is bringing us along his journey, but some people say, no, I don't want Jesus. God, I don't want eternity with you. I want my life the way I want it. And so just starting off, it, man, it's such a powerful thing. And literally, I, I beg you to, to dwell in this passage. That I'm going to move on to the next point, but we could rest in these two verses the rest of the time, and we wouldn't ex- exhaust the subject. But Jesus is not only eternal, he's not only God, Jesus is eternally God, Alpha and Omega, the next thing that this passage describes, man, I had a cool picture about time, but I couldn't use it because I didn't see it up there. All right, next thing. Jesus is the powerful creator. Jesus is the powerful creator. And verse three, um, verse three says, all things were made through him. All things that were made, everything that was made was made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. And listen, when I say everything, I mean everything out of nothing. Everything that exists came to exist out of nothing. And this is the part where it kind of sounds like a fairy tale to to a lot of people. Listen, it does take faith and it seems absolutely preposterous, but if it's true and you deny it, the day that you stand before the creator that spoke the worlds into existence, you will be held accountable before him. 
So as, as you think about this, everything that exists, exists out of nothing. He spoke it into existence. This, this may, honestly, a lot of people struggle to think of Jesus as creator. Because in our mind, God the Father created. Jesus hung out until 2,000 years ago. He jumped in on this earth, right? That's how we think. Our mind processes through. This is when Jesus showed up. That's how we think. We think, man, he, he did a bunch of miracles, and we know these miracles. We're going to read about these miracles throughout the next couple months. And then he ultimately died on a cross, was buried in a grave, and he rose again. The, the mindset is that's what Jesus did. But everything that was made was made through him. Colossians says it this way. Paul says it in Colossians, says, for by him, speaking of Jesus, that whole passage, speaking of Jesus, for by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, the visible things and the invisible things, the physical realm and the spiritual realm. Everything was created by him. And the end of that verse says, and also for him. Another place, Hebrews 1 says, through Jesus also, he, God the Father, created the world. In other words, through Jesus, God created the world. And man, honestly, we start, wait, I thought Jesus is God. Yes, he is. So how did, it's three persons of the same God. He is God. We're not worshiping uh, three gods, we're worshiping God. And so as you wrestle through these things, I want you to understand first that he is eternally God. And second, that he is powerfully creator. He is the powerful creator. Number three uh, comes from verse four. Jesus is everlasting life. He doesn't just give everlasting life. He is life. It says, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. This word for life, by the way, is Zoe. You've heard that word before. I, I, friends of mine named their dog Zoe because she was so full of energy, just so full of life. And they're, they're watching right now. They know who I'm talking about. But listen, the, like Zoe, full of life. And it's the idea of God's life in Christ. How do you understand this idea? How, what, how does this make sense? Think about Adam. What was life like for Adam? He had life. He was created for a purpose, and he was living out that purpose. What, did Adam wake up every day and think, man, what am I going to do today? No, he knew what he's going to do. His, his life was to serve and, and live in communion with God. What do we do? What do I consider life? I get up and I say, yeah, I think I'm going to do this today or that. So many times the decisions we make have nothing to do with life. We just chase after our own life, create our own life. But what he's saying is in Jesus' life, and this, none of this is in my notes. I, I want to say this, that as you come to a point, 
as a, as a child of God that you're chasing after your life, you're trying to set up your kingdom, that it's the Holy Spirit that continually convicts you that you're not living life to the fullest. That the promise of abundant life, you're not laying hold of that because you're chasing after building your own life. When you set aside your own life, you die to yourself and you begin to latch on to Jesus, you find that that's where life is. I've never met a single person that has been um, regretful that they turned their life over to Christ. I've never met a single person because for the first time they experienced life. Uh, I love it this way. Um, Major Ian Thomas said this. He said, man was so engineered by God that the presence of the creator within the creature is indispensable to humanity. I know that's a heavy quote. Let me explain it. Let me break it down in John terms. Just like like a fifth grader would, maybe a fourth grader, maybe a five-year-old would understand. Listen, God created Adam to walk in communion, in perfection. That is how we were created. We are created for that purpose. And so you take away the Holy Spirit in the communion that we have with our creator, you take that away and we're not fully functioning as how we were created to be. It's as if you order a pack of pens from Amazon, they come in the mail and you pull it out and every one of them has no ink in it. It's still a pen, but it, it kind of feels useless. It's missing its purpose. That's the idea is, as we as believers, or as we as human beings, we're born into this world, we're broken. But God has engineered us that for me to be a full man, not just a godly man, I mean as a human being, for me to be a man requires that I have Jesus requires that I have life. And so Jesus is that life. We were created that way. So Jesus is eternal God. Jesus is the powerful creator. Jesus is everlasting life. And I love this powerful truth. Jesus is truth revealed. And this is going to we're going to travel a little bit. It's going to be verses 5 through 9. We're going to travel through this, and it'll make sense as I open the, the Scripture up, this idea of light. That's what he switches in verse, verse 4 to this idea of light. He casts light on things. And then verse 5 through 9, he's constantly pointing into this idea that, that, that he is light. Verse 5 says, The light shines in the darkness. That's my, my brain immediately thinks of a sinful, sin-cursed world that Jesus shines in the darkness. And by the way, I want somebody in this room to do your best to try to cast darkness in this room. All the lights are on right now, everything. You can't cast darkness in this room. Does that make sense? We're thinking philosophically now. I can't cast a dark, I don't even know what it's called, like a beam of darkness. It doesn't change the, the light in the room. But if this room was pitch black right now and somebody cast light, it would cut through the darkness. You think that God created light this way so that we could see this? 
Albert Einstein made sense of this, by the way. I, I want to read this. Uh, darkness has not overcome it, by the way. Darkness can't overcome. Uh, Albert Einstein says this. God did not create evil just as darkness is the absence of light. Evil is the absence of God. We're in, philosophical, or we're in philosophy class now, right? Right? God did not create evil just as darkness, it's the absence of God. God is not in us. Like sin is present because God is not in the heart of people. He's not indwelling like they were intended to be. It's the absence of God. And just as I'm, I'm speaking to a church, I, I have a burden for the, the body of Christ about this. Uh, we're living in a world that social justice warriors are fighting for causes. I, I don't know which side of this, like everybody's trying to affect change by social justice movements and even worse. And let me say, I'll, I'll pause for a minute. So there are people that are effectively attacking the fight, but then there's other people that if they did not have social media, they wouldn't be a social justice warrior. You take away social media, they're contributing nothing. The only platform that they have is my voice to be heard on social media. And so as I wrestle through, like, you can fight, you can protest, you can tear down statues, you can do all this stuff. But until God is in the heart of man, the problem is not fixed. You can make it a law to eliminate racism, but as long as there's sinners in this world, there will be racism. It's not mandated or grabbed hold of by social justice culture. The most powerful thing to change the heart of man is the gospel. You see, and I've heard interviews of people that were white supremacists, really wanting to wipe out other people groups. And when Jesus gets a hold of their heart, they see man is created in the image of God and that, that we have a desire that people may know Jesus and have life. And so as a, as a burden that I have right now is that this country, I mean, this world obviously needs missionaries. This country needs missionaries. But this tri-state needs missionaries. People that take the gospel to the hurting places, not just try to fix the hurt. I've watched this area for 15 years as people try to go and fix the problems in our community, but they don't carry the gospel to those places. They just try to fix the problems. And the 15 years that I've been connected with this area, there's not been a lot of change. Because the gospel is not going to these places. And even as I, honestly, as I say that, it's like, man, you really think the gospel is going to affect change? Yes, I do. That is the only thing that can affect change. We need men and women sent from God to come and bear witness about the light so that others might have life. Now, the cool thing is about being a missionary locally, 
you can work your job. You don't have to raise support. You don't have to sign up for uh, International Mission Board or North American. Like you just go to work, be a missionary. Verse six says this. There was a man sent from God. He was commissioned by the creator, by the way. A man sent from God whose name was John. Not to be confused with the John that's writing this. Because, this is significant, the only time that John is mentioned is in reference to John the Baptist. Remember what he called himself? Yeah, the disciple whom Jesus loved. Right, So we're talking about John the Baptist. Every time in the book of John that you see the name John, it's always going to refer to John the Baptist, not John the Apostle that's writing. So verse 7, he came, John the Baptist came as a witness to bear witness. Like a, Think of a courtroom. He's bearing witness. He's testifying about the light that all might believe in Christ through him. He, John again, John was not the light, but came to bear witness. He came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone. And this is not talking about universal salvation, by the way. Love is... Love wins is a popular thing today. He's not saying that everyone is coming. Or wait, I think that's the wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's not, he's not saying that the light has come to all people and now they're all saved, right? He's really, he's saying that it brings light to people. Like when you turn on a light, it affects two different people. When the light shines on darkness, it reveals, Right? He was coming into the world. Let, let me say this. Imagine yourself in the middle of the night. You're laying in bed, and I don't know if you do this sometimes. You hear a bump in the house. Right? As you, you're laying in bed, your eyes pop open, and you start to process. What's the first thing you think? Was that a dream or was that real? Right? And you're, so you're just, your heart's pounding a little bit, and you're listening intently. Is there going to be that sound again? And and as you sit and you hear and you know there's somebody in your house. And you hear something knock over in the garage. And so you're like, you're freaking out. You walk through your dark house. You go down. You, it's suspenseful. It's, suspense is killing you right now. But you're walking through the house. And you come to the door. You quietly open the garage door. And you flip on a light. Who likes light? Two different people are going to respond to light differently. One person is going to embrace the light. The other person is going to run from the light. But the blessing is light. The, the blessing is light has come. And it reveals to us whether we're a sinner running from light or whether we are a child of God embracing the light. That's the beauty for everyone, that we have an opportunity to follow into relationship with God because the light has come, the true light, the truth. When you flip a light on, you see what is true. There's somebody breaking into my garage and stealing something. That is true. 
and there's somebody looking to correct the issue. That is true. You flip a light on and everything becomes true. See, I don't have it on the back screen. I was, this is going to add to the suspense, um, but it's not on the back screen, so I didn't know it was coming. So I'm sorry. That kind of creeps you out, doesn't it? John said this a couple, a couple chapters later. He said, the light has come into the world and people love darkness rather than light. Why? The same reason when you flip a light on, a criminal runs. They love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil, because their works are evil. So Jesus is the eternal God. Jesus, my brain, I I can't even remember what my points are. (laughs) Jesus, no, I really can't. That's crazy. Jesus is the powerful. That's why you're taking notes so you can tell me what I preached on, all right? Jesus is the powerful creator. Jesus is everlasting life. Jesus is truth revealed. Next, Jesus is a personal savior. It says he was in the world And the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He was despised and rejected of men. You remember, Isaiah said that. And it's not of him, it's this idea. He came to his own. Who are his own? He came to his own. His own are the the nation of Israel, but his own is also mankind. We rejected him. He was Messiah come and, and we rejected him. Nailed him to the cross because of my sin. His own did not receive him. But listen. But to all who did receive him. To all that did turn and trust him. To everyone who believed in his name. He gave the right to be called children of God. Listen, if you're trying to settle. uh, You've got... got, um, uh, an inheritance coming your way and you're a child of a person. You have the right to the inheritance. It's that idea he's given us the right to be called children of God. And being a child of God comes with this inheritance that we can't even imagine to every person that believes. I, I pause. I, have you believed Listen, you're, you're missing life if you have not believed, if you're not trusted in Jesus. Uh, verse 13 says, listen to how it describes what salvation is. People were not born, or were born not of blood, not of blood. What's that mean? We're not born again because of the family we came from. We're not born of blood. I, I, I was raised in a Christian family. That means nothing in the kingdom of God. Am I going to trust him? So not born again, not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, like the, an impulse in our heart. You know, I think I want to be saved today. Do you know how many times I was saved because I said at camp, yeah, I think I want to be saved today. I'll say yes to Jesus. 
It says we're not born of the will of the flesh nor the will of man. You know what that says? I can't will my kids to be saved. I am powerless. No matter how passionate I am of the gospel, there's nothing that I can do to get my kids to be saved. It's not of the blood, nor is it the will of the flesh, and it's not the will of man, but of God. The best way that I know how to explain how God draws a person to salvation is as the gospel is being shared, your heart is pounding a little harder, and you're under deep conviction that I am a sinner separated from God. And that I recognize that my life, there's no life. I'm not alive to God. And I need a remedy. Jesus is the incarnate Christ. And let me explain this. Because those two words, there's significance in the phrase that I picked to describe verse 14 through 18. Verse 14 through 18. By the way, the incarnate Christ, I wrote it down this way. And there's so many ways that this is such an elementary description that maybe we can discuss this tonight. But incarnate is the idea of God coming in bodily form. This is the simplest way to say it. God in the flesh. That's Jesus. But, but also the Christ. By the way, Jesus' first name isn't Jesus and last name Christ. We know that, right? If you didn't know that, write that in your notes this morning. That is not true. Jesus is the Christ. It's the idea that he's the Messiah or the anointed one. And the way I put, he's sent from God and anointed as king. He's the king over all. He's sent from God. So they were looking for the Messiah, the, the appointed king, but they were looking the wrong way that Jesus would die. You remember the story with Israel. So Jesus is the incarnate Christ says it this way, verse 14, the word, still talking about Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us. He, he, I love this, by the way. I, I put a note in there to remind myself. The word didn't, wasn't created flesh. When he came in a manger, it says that he became flesh. He has always existed. Before the manger, he has always existed. The word became flesh and he dwelt among us. He lived among us. And we have seen, we've actually witnessed his glory. The glory is the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. This idea of glory is pointing to the idea that the tabernacle is with men. That the tabernacle that was following the nation, that was leading the nation of Israel, that the Shekinah glory dwelt there and there was a separation. It's saying that we looked and we saw the glory of God in Jesus John even bore witness. By the way, which John is this? Because it's being mentioned, it's John the Baptist. John bore witness about him and cried out, continually cried out, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. There's a play on words, by the way. When was Jesus born? 
He was born a couple months after John, but he ranks before him because he's eternal. He's eternally God. John is bearing witness that this is the Messiah. This is the Christ. It says, for his, from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. It's this abundant spiritual blessing. For the law was given through Moses. Man, it's so fresh because we just walked through um, the life of Moses and Joshua. Do you remember the blessings and cursings? You read it and what do they say? Can I get a, all right. They read it saying, if I don't obey, I'm going to be cursed. If I do my best to try to obey, what's the purpose of the law? To show me I'm a wretched sinner that needs Christ. The law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. Just, I love, Louis Giglio said this. I don't have it quoted. Look it up. It's an old sermon. Louis Giglio said, you can't handle the sun for two hours without putting sunscreen on. You certainly can't handle the glory of God. No one has seen God and lived. Is what another passage says. It says, the only God, sorry, the only God, or, or the only son, literally, who is at the Father's side, he... He, Jesus, has made God the Father known. He has made Jesus, or he has made God the Father known. That is significant. Jesus is showing us who God is. Jesus is flesh. He's incarnate. He was living among us. We could look at Jesus. We can read about Jesus and see who God is. But God is spirit. You can't see God. We can't even handle his glory. The idea is you look at Jesus and you see God. I I love this. I think I shared this a while ago. No, I can't remember what series we did. But what, who is on the front of a penny? Who is on the front of a penny? Who is it? You're wrong. You're wrong. Do you want to look again? Who is on the front of a penny? It's not Abraham Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln was shot in 1865 by John Wilkes Booth. That's not Abraham Lincoln. That's an icon or a picture of Abraham Lincoln. You get what I'm saying? That's Abraham Lincoln's been dead and gone for over 150 years. But we have a picture that if Abraham Lincoln came walking in this door, everyone's, there's Abraham Lincoln. We look at Abraham Lincoln, we know that it's him because we have a penny. And we look at the penny and we know that it's that must be Abraham Lincoln. It's the image of the invisible Abraham Lincoln. Does this make sense to you? They said it this way. Paul, again, he's saying he is the image of the invisible God. You look at Jesus and you you know who God is. Have you ever thought about that? Like when we go in the presence of God, what will that be like? Let me encourage you. Embrace the book of John 
As we walk through this, you'll begin to understand what God looks like. You'll understand what it's like to stand in his presence because you look at Jesus and you see God. Another place, John said it this way, whoever has seen, or Jesus said it in the book of John, whoever has seen me, he's seen the father. Jesus said, look at me and you'll know who the father is. By the way, he said, no man comes to the father, but by me. That same passage. So as a way of review, and I, I want to challenge you, but it is a, Jesus is the eternal God, the powerful creator, the everlasting life, the truth revealed, the light shines on the darkness, reveals what's really there, the personal savior, the incarnate Christ, as I was wrestling through, these are powerful facts about Jesus that mean absolutely nothing if you've not placed your faith and trust in him. None of this seems significant to you. As a takeaway point, I, I just want, I want to share uh, my testimony, but knowing the facts about Jesus, you might, everything might have been just review today. Knowing the facts about Jesus or even expressing feelings towards Jesus does not equate to having faith in Jesus. My mind goes straight back to James. You must come again. Father, who are saved by God through Christ, you are drawn into salvation by God, and it's only by faith in Christ. It's not, a, remember the verse a minute ago, it's not because you were born into a Christian family. It's not because you, your mom and dad wanted you to be saved. It's not even because they prayed every day. It's not because one day you thought, you know what, I, I'm going to clean my life up and get back in church and get saved again. You must be born again. By God. Um, as, a, as a way of testimony, um, I grew up, and I, I want to challenge you with this, and I'm not, I'm not trying to just want to say this. I'm not trying to get you to doubt your salvation. Uh, honestly, it, it's okay to be shaken up because what it does is it causes us to test out, work out our salvation and fear and trembling. It's not like I have to do something. It's that I'm wrestling with Am I born again? And what happens is the Spirit of God confirms. It's the Spirit of God that bears witness with your spirit that you're a child of God. That is by far the greatest confirmation or assurance that I can ever have as a follower of Jesus is to have the Holy Spirit bear witness to me that I'm a child of God. When I was a child... I grew up, I'm, when I say I'm at church all the time, I'm saying that every day the door was open to go to church, I was there. I remember one time I had chicken pox. And my dad says, you're not staying home. So I sat in the car in the parking lot at the church because I'm not going to miss church. That's a good excuse. You're going to be at church, right? But the truth is I was there all the time. I knew how to act. I knew all the facts about God. I could answer all the Sunday school questions. 
As a, as a five-year-old, I, they said, man, you need to be born again. Well, as a kid, yeah, I want to be born again then. And so what do I have to do? Say that prayer, okay. I said that prayer, and listen, I, I remember there was no conviction. I was not alive to God. Nothing changed. But I was just walking through this quasi-faith that wasn't even real. It's just this faith that's determined by what was taught me, and I just grabbed hold of it. But as time went on, I began to see that my life, I was not alive to God. I didn't care about the things of God. I didn't care about the word of God. I didn't care about worship. I, I had not, like it was, I was literally unengaged looking at the picture behind the preacher the whole time. And when he said amen, all I wanted to do was go play basketball. And as time went on as a kid, I remember every time I went to a camp or a retreat or a youth seminar or youth rally, listen, every time the gospel was shared, I was sitting there thinking, man, I don't know. I better just, I better pray again just to make sure. What if, what if it didn't stick the first time? I remember it took a lot of years of growing up in the church sitting in message after message, sitting under teaching week after week before the truth of the gospel. I began, I remember one night is in Buffalo, New York. I've shared it before. I was at a youth rally and I recognized that night that I was trusting in all these prayers and hoping they worked. I had never placed my faith and trust in Jesus. I didn't have life. I wasn't alive. And that night, I remember, honestly, I was sitting in the pew, and uh, I, the, it felt like, the guy's name is Ken Rudolph, he's still preaching the gospel. He was preaching, and it was as if he was speaking directly to me. It's like nobody else was in the room. And I recognized it's the Holy Spirit that was drawing me into fellowship with him, into relationship with him. And I, in, the, in the seat right there, I didn't go forward, I, I just turned my life over to Christ. And everything changed. The John that you know today, I wasn't a bad kid. I just wasn't alive to God. I, I didn't care about the things of God. I was a good kid, though. Everybody would say, yeah, it's a good kid. Good kids go to hell. There's a bunch of good kids that go to hell. You must be born again. I, as I rally, or, or just I, I, it's a similar story in my wife, how many people sit in the pew week after week? I found that the Lord has, has enabled me as a pastor through the years that my, I, I'm terrible at sharing the gospel. I do it because I should. I'm supposed to. But listen, God has used um, the preaching of the gospel to draw the people that are sitting in pews to follow Christ, some for the first time. And what's the one thing that captivates every person that sits in a pew is if I come out now, I mean, I've been coming to this church for 35 years. If I come out and say, man, I am a lost sinner, that if I were to die today, I would be separated from God for all eternity. If I come out, then people here would think, man, you've been living a lie for 35 years. Let me tell you that. That is Satan himself placing that thought in your head. There's not a person in this room that would not rejoice with you if you've been sitting in this pew for 35 years, hiding out, faking the Christian life, not ever having life, not ever being alive to God. And so as we walk through the book of John, or maybe the, the Holy Spirit is stirring your heart now. 
Don't leave the opportunity as the Spirit of God is drawing you to a point of faith to trust in the living Jesus, the eternal God, the incarnate Christ, that he is our only hope.